Welcome to the ISO on the Gonzaga Nation Media Network. I'm your host, Dan Dickow. Today's guest, uh, since we're on the G Gonzaga Nation Media Network, I have to put this out there before we get started. She's not a Gonzaga grad, but she's as big a Gonzaga fan as you can find in the media world without being able to express those feelings in print or in podcasts. So I just wanted to put it out there to get started. Uh, Lindsay Schnell, currently with USA Today. Thanks for joining. Thank you so much, Dan. I appreciate that intro. I like to think I'm part of the GU family. Um, there have been a few times that people have said to me, maybe you should just go get a grad degree there so you could officially say we and us and all that. So it's, it's on my radar. <laughs> well, you and I have uh, talked a number of times over the course of the years, and actually we ran into each other at this year's NCAA tournament um, when Gonzaga was in Portland. Uh, but you know as much about the Gonzaga women's program as probably anybody that doesn't live in Spokane. Uh, what was like the, the draw you in moment to that program? You know, I think that um, with the men, like obviously the men had been good for so long, right? And I am an Oregon kid. I grew up outside of Portland. And so when Gonzaga went on its first run, was when my high school, Sandy High School, was still in the Mount Hood Conference with Central Catholic, which is where Matt Santangelo went. And so my dad's like, you know, this is a conference point guard, we should watch them. So just became a big GU follower. And then at one point, someone said to me, you know, their women are really good too. And what I was really impressed by was the fan support that they had in Spokane. There are a lot of good women's programs around the country that just don't have that type of community engagement. And so that was when Kelly Graves was there and then with Courtney Vandersloot and they went on a couple really deep runs. And then I coached an eighth grade team and I coached against a girl, Lexi Bando, like all we played them like 10 times and um, Kelly recruited her, uh, her freshman year in high school. So I coached against her when she was an eighth grader. I got to know her family, her freshman year, her team is playing in the high school state tournament in Eugene, she went to Willamette High School in Oregon. And Kelly Graves walks by me and I said, hey, you gotta keep an eye on number 10. And when he walked out, he said, you're right, I want her. And that kind of, he recruited her. She went and played for him at Oregon. Um, she had been committed to Gonzaga. And then when that coaching change happened was right when she was coming out of school. So I got really engaged then too, just watching through that recruiting process. It was kind of cool to have like a front row seat to see how coaches do that. And then when the Oregon women um, had an opening, it's like, there was no question who they should go after. Kelly had been the best program in the West outside of Stanford for like close to 10 years at that point. Um, and then obviously uh, like through that, uh, Molly Hayes, who was one of his GAs, um, I don't know, roughly a million years ago is a very good friend of mine. So I got to know like Lisa and Jody through that. And I've maintained a relationship with Lisa and Craig. So I just, um, and I love watching them. I, I really appreciate their style. And I think this was something that Kelly has taken to Oregon, but like no one loves a mid post player like Kelly Graves. I always joke about that, but that's a huge part of why Gonzaga is successful. I think against power five programs is they have mid posts, which a lot of power fives don't have. So they're a little smaller. They maybe can't like bang on the block but they can hurt you in other ways. And I just really enjoy learning more and more about X's and O's. So, um, and they've obviously gotten some really good transfers the last few years. They got a, their, the transfer they got just this portal, Brenna Maxwell from Utah, 
that's a big time get. She is going to help them a lot. So I'm just a junkie is the, is a shorter version <laughs> of that extremely long answer. Well, your two main focuses uh, as a writer, from my understanding, are college football and women's college basketball. I I'm focused on the men's side of college basketball, so I, I don't follow all of the storylines in women's college basketball. But has the transfer portal been as active on the women's side as it has been on the men's? And, and if so, why do you think that? Yeah, and actually it's been more active on the women's side really? than the men's for years. Um, something like, I think it was seven years ago, um, it was when Andy Landers stepped down at Georgia. He, he spoke at the coaches convention at the final four and talked about that there were more transfers in division one women's basketball than any other sport in the NCAA. It would be interesting to go in and look now over the last like five to 10 years, but I don't, do you know what the number was? For the men's portal this it was, year? The last I had checked, and this was right before that May 1 cutoff, it was like just over 1,600. Okay, so the women's about a month before that was around 12. And okay. last year it was close to 13. For some reason I have 1287 in my head. And they thought it was far going to surpass that. So I would bet that they're um, very similar. Why is it happening? Well, we probably need like a separate podcast just for that. Uh, I think a lot of kids right now don't understand what it takes to win. And they transfer because they think I want to be a big time player. Or I want to go to this program. And if I go to a bigger program, I can compete for a championship. And they don't understand that they're going to be at the same things are going to be asked of them. You have to play defense. You have to be a consistent scoring threat. You have to be consistent period. Um, so I think a lot of kids are chasing something that they're never going to get. I think helicopter parents are a huge yeah. problem. Uh, there's someone I know that went into the portal from a PAC 12 school and was a starter all year as a freshman at her school. And, um, I heard that her parents wanted her to score more and I just started laughing and I thought the coach probably wants her to score more too. <laughs> she was a starter. <laughs> um, I think too that kids kind of like, um, it was an assistant coach that said this to me and the more I thought about it, the more accurate I think it is. You put your name in the portal, you get talked about on social media, people are recruiting you again and giving you all this attention. I think kids are kind of into that right now and not necessarily trying to forge the relationships that we've talked about for years in recruiting. It's more about like, how much attention are you going to pay to me? I mean, you know this from being around the men's game. In, in college coaching, a lot of times when there's a kid that's committed, this is on the men's or the women's side, um, and they're playing in an AAU tournament, an assistant will say, well, I got to go babysit this kid. I got to go sit at their game and watch them so that their feelings aren't hurt, even though we already have them committed and I need to go watch this other player, this younger player. So I think there's just a lot of babysitting going on right now. I also think that we're still feeling the COVID effect. Lots of kids went, you know, you go far away, especially high profile kids, because there's a lot of like McDonald's All-Americans in the portal, which is crazy, but they go far away. And then because of COVID parents can't come see them as much. I think that's really hard. So I, I think that it will calm down a little bit, but um, the bottom line and, you know, Mark Few, I think has adapted to this as well as anyone. If, if you know, if he's not the best, I don't know who is. It is now part of the landscape. So you better learn how to recruit out of the portal. 
And you better learn how to recruit your current team every day. Yeah, Gonzaga men's program is uh, one of only 10 programs on the on the men's side that did not lose a single scholarship player to the transfer portal, wow. which is impressive. Um, you mentioned something that I actually tweeted about maybe two weeks or so ago, and is I honestly think that kids like that attention of being in the portal and being re-recruited as opposed to figuring out what their weaknesses are and attacking those to have the impact on a, the team that they're currently on instead of hoping to have an impact on a new team. So I, I found that uh, awesome that you and I had a similar take on that. Yeah. How about the NIL in, in regards to women's college basketball? Because I know there is a, a, a there, there's two twins or there's twins that transfer from Fresno State to Miami on the women's basketball side. Yeah. Have we seen a lot of NIL deals uh, that have been because of the portal? I don't know if you can tie it directly to the portal yet. I think that will play out over the next couple of years, but definitely, you know, there were some um, rankings and studies released early this season that after, I think it's college football, the, the next sport that's getting the most NIL deals are women is women's college basketball. Really? And a, yeah. And a huge part of that is, and you know this because you know, the men's side is so many men's players leave so early for the pros and that's not an option on the women's side like you can have a draft eligible junior but it's pretty rare um and so people stay four years they build a relationship with their community their the local businesses but i mean Paige beckers and she she is an extreme example obviously the guard from yukon but she's bringing in an insane amount of money there's talk that because the wnba pay scale is so pathetic currently come when you compare it to the men's um that there are going to be a lot of players who are going to make more money as college athletes with nil than they ever will as a pro and it's going to be interesting to see that play out there's also opportunities like look at the Truon twin twins for gonzaga they're going to go play for so they're vietnamese they're going to go play for the vietnamese national team this summer that is going to be huge for them from an nil perspective because they're going to tap into a market that like no one else is tapping into. We know from when Rui played at um, GU that Southeast Asia is hungry for sports stars. So they're gonna be able to, and I don't know if they speak Vietnamese, I would assume they speak at least a little bit, but that's gonna be like huge for them. They're gonna be talking to a group of probably young impressionable athletes that won't even register with Americans, but it won't, it won't matter. And then we've seen a lot of um, Cameron Brink, who plays uh, at Stanford, who is uh, from Oregon. She comes to mind as, you know, she's, Cam is like 6'5", blonde, blue-eyed, beautiful. She has some NIL like modeling stuff. I'm waiting for multiple basketball players to get eyelash extension NIL deals because so many girls play with eyelash extensions. But yeah, there's a lot of money to to be there. And, you know, I think especially when you have a program like GU would be a good example, right? The community cares about women's basketball up there. They're going to want to invest in those kids. It's not just the men's program. I mean, and you know that because you're up there. The women sell out a lot too. Mm -hmm. That's going to be huge. So it's going to be the same at South Carolina, UConn, Oregon and Oregon State. There's a lot of money to be had for these women's players. So obviously you call it, you cover the women's game pretty closely. You go to a number of games throughout the year. Gonzaga women's sell out almost, I would say more than half the games during the season. 
Um, what are some of the other great atmospheres that when the college basketball schedule comes out and you're figuring out your, your storylines, uh, your big picture storylines that you, I got to get to this school because of this game. I got to get to this game because of this arena. What are the ones on the women's side that you don't want to miss each year? Well, South Carolina probably has the best atmosphere in the country, defending national champs now. Um, they won their second title under Don Staley this spring. They have led the country in attendance for eight years, I think. Um, and they are, uh, I don't know if, if you feel this at GU because Spokane is such a basketball crazy city, but like fans are knowledgeable. <laughs> You know, like they understand the calls, they know the plays, they know when girls are supposed to shoot and not shoot. Um, it's definitely like that at South Carolina. Louisville is another wonderful atmosphere. Obviously, UConn and Tennessee, which set the standard for so long. On the West Coast, though, I mean, Oregon and Oregon State, man, they, especially when Sabrina was playing and especially when they play each other, they sold out like multiple years in a row trading sellouts and the Arizona women also have an incredible atmosphere. They've built a really strong program in a short period of time. Um, and then I would say when you think of like the middle of the country, Iowa State uh, really packs it in. They, they, they support women's basketball in that state in general, Iowa State, Iowa, um, and Drake, and then if you just hop over to DePaul and Chicago, it's good too. So there's a lot of, this is why I really push back on this. Oh, the women aren't bringing in money. Okay, Oregon State Baseball, they're currently, well, I think new rankings came out today. So I don't know if they're still number two, but last week they were number two. They sell out almost every home series. That program doesn't make money. Baseball programs don't make money. They lose money. The only programs that make money are football, which is losing money like crazy because now you can have an incredible experience watching games on your TV. But really, it's the men's basketball tournament that makes money for everyone. But the women are also learning how to generate revenue as they, it, it would be, I mean, Gonzaga is a private school, so we can't get these numbers. But it would be really interesting to look at what type of money is, are the women bringing in in Spokane? Because like you said, they sell out a lot of games. And when, when Stanford comes to town, you know, they like their men's schedule, really tough power five and other good mid majors. And people want to watch that. But if you can get to a game in South Carolina, a women's game, you should do it. Yeah. I've, uh, I've been to South Carolina one time. Okay. Uh, so I don't know if that's going to be on my travel <laughs> itinerary at any point, but if by chance I'm back there, I'll do my best to take you up on it. But you know, you mentioned some of those other schools, obviously being on the West coast, I know how good the PAC 12 women's programs are in particular, you know, Kelly Graves is, is a, is a, is a friend of mine. I, he does a tremendous job, but you mentioned Iowa, they've got a player, Caitlin Clark, that, mm -hmm. you know, if I'm flipping channels, I'll sit there and I'll watch her for a while because uh, she's almost like the Steph Curry of women's college basketball. Would you agree? That's an interesting comparison. I mean, definitely her range would imply yeah. that. Um, Kevin Durant is a huge fan of her. Um, and I believe he said that he sees some similarities in their game. But I like the idea of Steph because she plays with a lot of flair. Um, she's a pretty streaky shooter, though. That's okay. that's something that's lost. In so the maybe that's a uh, couple stretches I caught her on uh, when she yeah, was Yeah, no, when she's hot, she's hot. But I think she's much more dangerous as a passer. She's an incredible okay. passer. Um, and talk about someone that just understands how to put the ball in her teammates' hands so they can score. But when she gets going, like, I mean, she, like Steph, she crosses half court and she's like, this is a good shot. <laughs> 
<laughs> so she's definitely, she's someone that's going to bring a lot more fans to the game, which I think is clutch. And, you know, she'll be, Iowa is playing in the PK 85 this fall oh, really? at the, at the Rose Garden. So you'll have to make sure you come down to watch that. Well, there's, there is a good chance with Gonzaga down there and some of my broadcast responsibilities, I may be down there. So um, how about who's, who's been your favorite player to cover on the women's side since you broke into to national journalism? Oh, that is a tough question. My favorite women's player. I mean, my favorite women's player of all time is Cheryl Swoops. Um, but I like that was more like I kind of idolized her growing up. Um, can I say a coach instead? Because sure. meeting Pat Summit. Okay. And getting an opportunity to talk to her and to cover her a little bit um, before she retired and stepped down was my mind is like still blown. Um, it's funny because Kelly Harper is now the coach there. She played for Pat when they won three in a row with Shaniqua Holdsclaw. And back then she was Kelly Jolly and she's a point guard. And when she got the Tennessee job, someone said, do you know about Kelly Harper? And I was like, excuse me, uh, do I know about Kelly Jolly and leading them to three titles and that Tennessee used to run an out of bounds play that her dad taught Pat Summit? Yeah, I'm familiar with them. Um, so I think that's the cool thing is in the women's game, we see players come back before we officially started. We were talking about Jackie Styles. you know, she's coaching now. Like I watched her when she played for the Portland Fire, like, I think those type of things are really cool. But, um, and player-wise, I think one thing that's awesome is there's not saturated media coverage of the women's game yet. So those players are not sick of the media in the way a lot of men's players can be. And they're like really fun to talk to and they're excited to talk to you. Um, I mean, I love Aaliyah Boston who plays at South Carolina. Um, she told me a story about, um, playing she trained with Tim Duncan this last summer and she grew up a huge Tim Duncan fan and so to hear her talk about like oh my god I can't believe Tim Duncan like talked to me and then was telling me how to fix my shot like um I think that that's that's really fun but I don't know that's I wasn't ready for that question I'd have to think about that well I don't know if you can uh, I mean Pat Summit uh you know she may her and Gino Ariema may be the two greatest coaches uh, for women's basketball of all time. So uh, that, I'll definitely let that one pass. So okay. you've been covering women's college basketball at the highest level for, for a while now. Um, what type of uh, kind of steps did you have to take in your career to get to where, where you're working for USA Today now? You've also worked for SI in the past as well as ESPN. So for anybody who is, is out there listening that maybe wants to break into covering sports the way that you do, what, what were your steps and what would your advice be? Yeah, I mean, um, I think the best thing that you can do, especially if you're in college, is look at who is playing in your college, on your college teams that's good, that isn't from the area. So let's say that you're a student at GU and they have a women's soccer team, right? GU has a women's soccer team. Yeah. Let's say that there's a great women's soccer player from New Mexico. Awesome. Email the New Mexico paper, the, the paper what, that would be considered her hometown paper and say, I would like to write a story on this girl. She's a star for Gonzaga and in the WCC. Pay me $300 to write a thousand word feature on her. 
obviously you need to have some experience, hopefully you've worked for the student paper, but those types of things, building out a clip file and identifying who is a good story that's not gonna get covered where we are, maybe because she's not from here is a huge advantage. Um, I think the biggest thing is, you know, and I, I use this comparison all the time with um, pro athletes, right? A lot of people will watch, let's use, Co I always use Kobe as an example. Kobe Bryant on TV. I want to be like Kobe. I want to, you know, I want to play in the NBA. Okay. Well, what they don't see is Kobe spent 10 hours a day in the gym, yeah. in the gym and in the weight room and watching film, you know, this, cause you played in the NBA. Like it's a job. I have this very vivid memory of Jordan Poyer who uh, plays in the NFL. He plays for the Buffalo bills. He played at Oregon state and I covered him in college his rookie year in the league, I was doing a story and I sent him a text and was like, hey, I'm writing on so-and-so. Can I give you a call today? Can we talk about this? I would love your voice in this story. And he's like, yeah, let me call you and I get home from work, not practice, work. And when we talked, I said, I love that you called it work. And he's like, Lindsay, it's a job at this level. And so I have a really cool job. You have a really cool job, but, they are, but it's a job. It's not a hobby. You have to be willing to put in the time. Um, I think that become an expert and don't shy away from what you're passionate about. I've always loved women's sports. I've loved women's basketball. You know, I was, I had season tickets to the Portland fire when they were a WNBA team a thousand years ago. So a lot of times when I first pitched those ideas, they went nowhere because we didn't want to cover those things. I hear this a lot from people who love women's soccer or softball or women's hockey. But if you stay persistent and if you find outlets that will let you cover that, eventually it's all, it's all going to come full circle. Um, so I think you have to be willing to put in the time. The other thing is, if you are serious, and this doesn't have to be in media, whatever you want to do, there is a professional who has that job, find them, send them an email. People, you, I'm sure you know who Ann Schatz is, the broadcaster. When I was a sophomore in high school, I used to want to be a TV commentator. I wanted to be a color analyst. So I found her email and I sent her an email and asked if I could job shadow her. And I did as a sophomore in high school, like how, and we still have a relationship 20 years later. How cool is that? So I think that whatever kids want to do or they're interested in, one thing I learned from um, a guy, he's a shoe designer. His name's Dwayne Edwards. He used to work. He was uh, the lead designer at Jordan brand forever. Like when Michael was playing, he told me once that one thing he always wants kids to understand is whatever they are interested in, it is a job. You know what? Like, you walk into a store and you like the way that, that the store's arranged, that's a job, that's merchandising. You know, you go to, maybe you go to Gonzaga Games in Spokane and you know that you're not gonna be a player, but you love like the analytical part of it, the stats, like those, those are positions now that coaches are hiring for. Even though someone like Mark Few has said like that he's not a huge analytics fan, even someone like him, like they recognize the value of it. So I think that's the biggest thing is just, be willing to put in the time, reach out to people who are already in the, in whatever profession you're interested in, ask if you can job shadow them, ask if you can take them to coffee. Um, Malika Andrews, who hosts ESPN's uh, NBA, NBA Live is out. I watch it every day and I don't know the name, yeah. but NBA Live, Malika's very young. She's 26. She's a U of Portland grad. Her sister, Kendra, who's also on ESPN is a GU grad. Um, <clears throat> Malika was a sophomore in college at UP and she emailed the Associated Press reporter who works down here, Annie Peterson, who covers the Blazers, and asked her, can I take you out for a burrito? I want to be a sports writer when I grow up. 
And now she's on ESPN. (laughs) You just have to be bold, I think. Well, you got to be bold. You got to be persistent with whatever path you choose. And and you mentioned Kendra Andrews. That's a great example. She was a student at Gonzaga writing for the Gonzaga Bulletin. Uh, She asked to interview me on a number of occasions. I had her on on this same ISO podcast in the fall. Awesome. Uh, And now she's crushing it on ESPN. It's really cool to see. So uh, Lindsay, I appreciate the time. We're going to have to do this again, maybe right yeah. before college basketball season, where you can kind of give our listeners an overview of what to expect, not just what Gonzaga women's hoops, but the whole landscape of uh, women's basketball in college. So thanks we again for talk joining. about the West Coast women's basketball, because that's where it's at. Perfect. Sounds good. Well, thanks again for joining.